0: I was, I was told recently about something happened this week, and I had actually missed it on the news because in the midst of a, a world where, where you hear so many things happening, but did you, did you hear that on Thursday um, that 39 children were rescued? Uh, I just want to read part of that article on here, and, and, and this is good news. Uh, authorities have found 39 missing children in Georgia during a two-week effort to rescue endangered minors. The U.S. Marshals Service missing, missing Child Unit led the search dubbed Operation Not Forgotten. It collaborated with the agency Southeast Regional Fugitive Task Force, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and state and local agencies. And the operation resulted in the rescue of 26 children and 13 others to a safe location. So in the midst of living in a world where we hear bad news more than good news, there is, uh, there are people that are rescuing others. But really when you think about the God story, the God story is all about God rescuing us. And the book of Exodus is really all what that story is all about. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 1. And we're going to go through 25 chapters today. No, 24 you can relax. Only 24 chapters today. And, and really, what I want to talk about, so if you look at what we're going to share this morning, you can look at it either optimistically. I've got one point, God shows up. If you want to look, well, is there anything more you're going to say than God shows up? I'm going to try to answer two questions. What does God do when he shows up? And what do we need when God shows up? But in between that, we're going to, we're going to share a few detailed things that, that what God has done. And, and really what we have here is God on a rescue a plan. He, he's here to, to rescue people who are, who are in danger. And as you think about that, uh, it, it really is a mission of love. I, was, uh, I think I've shared this story with you before, but I'm, I'm, I'm always challenged or, or really encouraged by this uh, uh, one prayer by this child who was in church and came home and decided to, to share this, this prayer with uh, his parents. He said, um, th- this is a prayer I prayed to dear God. Uh, I, I bet it's very hard for you to love everybody in this world. Uh, I know there's only six people in my family and I never do it, Right? And, and so as we think about, well, you know, why isn't there more love in this world? Why don't people really uh, listen to each other? Why don't, why don't people really care? It, it's because it's so easy to be divided. It's so easy to get our eyes off what, what God wants to do in people's lives. And, and when we look at God's challenge for us, when God shows up, we, we know he's going to hold us accountable for what, what he's already said very plainly. You know, we've shared in days past, Sundays past, and that when God speaks, he doesn't stutter. And, and we think about his call for his people. We, we know that, that, and Paul prayed this in various prayers, that, that we ought to love one another, that we ought to love one another fervently and faithfully. And we ought to care about God's people. But but Jesus took it to the, the next level, didn't he? He said, you've heard it said that you ought to love one another. You ought to love your neighbor. But I say to you that you ought to love your enemies. And so as we think about that, whether, whether you have people you know on the political left or the political right, and you're wondering how to deal with them, we know God's message is pretty plain in the midst of maybe engaging in very uh, challenging conversation. God's, God's message is very plain. In the midst of being with people that maybe disagree with you in areas that you consider important, there's something more important. Do they get the message that you care about them? That you really do love them? That you, that you see them as a person of value even, they, even they don't uh, have that same worldview that you do? And to recognize that we have a reason to care about people because we, we never set our eyes on anybody that that wasn't created in God's image. That we never set our eyes on anybody that Jesus didn't die for. And then we don't ever set our eyes on people that God can't rescue. And and so as we think about that, this is is a book, Exodus, in which it really is all about God's rescue plan. And we've entitled this book, uh, God's Way Out. And the reason we, we entitled that book, is because the word Exodus, uh, and that is from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, Exodus was the title, and X is out in Otis, and the Greek is way, so it's God's way out. But what's interesting about this, is if you look at the Hebrew title for this particular book, Exodus chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, and, and I'm not going to take, take this much time on each point, so just relax here, okay? And Exodus chapter 1, as we get the beginning of this book, it, it begins with these words. Now, these are the names. And, and it's kind of an interesting way to start a, a book that has 40 chapters in it. But really what it was trying to share is that, that the Bible is a, is a book with many books, 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. But really, it's only one book. It's really only one story. It's God's story. And Genesis was the first book. We probably could get that right in the Bible question or trivia that might be shared but really what Exodus is, it's, it's the sequel to Genesis. In, in many ways, you can say Genesis, the first book, the 50-chapter book, was Genesis 1. And Exodus was Genesis 2. It was the sequel to this. It, it's the story ongoing. And, and really, when you think of all that's in the Old Testament and New Testament, we as God's people, we're, we're the next book that's being written as God's story is played out in our life. And when we think about what's that most important truth in that story is that God shows up. And he shows up so that we might know how to get out of the mess that we're in. Uh, No matter where you are politically, we're living in a mess right now, right? There's all kinds of things going wrong. None of us would disagree with that. What is the hope? There's only one hope for the world, and that's Jesus. Because the problem that we have in this world, it's the heart of the problem is the problem of the... Of the heart, and so here we have saying, "Well, God, how are you going to how are you going to clean up this mess? And how he's going to clean up this mess is showing up. And and so, what does God do when he shows up? What has God done when he has shown up? And we're going to race through twenty four chapters, actually twenty three, and then we'll spend some a little bit more time than twenty four, new material. But but what has God done when he showed up? Chapter one: What has God done? Uh, God has seen His people in bondage." And Exodus chapter one is, is really the story of what happened when when Genesis ended, and you had Joseph um, bring his people, and when he went to Egypt, he was enslaved. He was enslaved, and and then all of a sudden, God used him uh, to bring blessing to the land, and and we as God's people, the best we can, in the midst of focusing on the spiritual needs of people, want to want to help in any way possible, in physical ways and relational ways, uh, and, and Joseph was able to be used of God to, to allow Egypt to be sustained in, in a great period of famine. And, and then what happened is that there was, a, there was a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. He had forgotten about all the things that God's people had done for them. And in Exodus chapter 1, you see God seeing them in bondage. And How long they had been in bondage? Well, really, if you take all of what part of what Joseph had gone through, it was 430 years. And, and, and when you're suffering and you're crying out to God and God doesn't answer, you wonder is God ever going to what? See if you can guess it. I, I can preach a long time. If you don't help me out here. Uh, the title of the message is You're Wondering if God's going to what? Isn't that, isn't that true? I mean, you're praying, you you got needs, and not only do you ask, Is God going to show up? You Then you ask, even maybe out of his heart, Does God care, right? Does God care what I'm going through? And, and, and look, it's been a long time 430 years. Is God going to show up? And God, God has always cared, and God has always seen the trouble God's people are going through. That's chapter one. And, and then in chapter two, what, what you have here is that, that God predicts the, the person he's going to deliver. Uh, and, and that person is Moses. And you have the, the dramatic experience of, of, of Moses being put in this little pitched little carrier of a, a young little baby body and, and on the Nile and, and God rescues it through, through the powers that be uh, the daughter of the Pharaoh and, and God protects, protects him in, in a sovereign way and in, in chapter 2 what we have is we have Moses uh, growing up in Pharaoh's court and, and, and really the challenge there is that, that as he was experiencing life and, and as his people were experiencing suffering uh, what do you do when you, your life's going well and somebody else is suffering? Well, the easiest thing to do is just ignore it right? But, but God worked on his heart and he didn't quite do it the right way but, but he, but he slays an Egyptian shoulder soldier and, and he has to leave and so what we have in Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2 that we have a period of time that's basically uh, 300 uh, uh, 350 years in Exodus chapter 1 and then 80 years in chapter 2 when we have that 430 years and, and here Moses is in another land now and what we see here in chapter 3 is God reveals himself in the burning bush and whether you've seen the cartoon or whether you've seen the Ten Commandments, we're all familiar with that. And often when we read stories like that, we so say, well, you know, I'd have a deeper faith if God would somehow reveal to me in a dramatic way. And all I want to say to you, God has revealed to all of us throughout history in the most dramatic way because he sent Jesus, right? And so God reveals himself in the burning bush, and Moses is struck that God is speaking to him. And then in chapter four, what happened is that Moses, even though he's convinced that God has shown up, he doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. Now we never act that way, right? We're thinking, well, you know, God would just maybe speak out of a bush or speak more audibly. I would do what he said to do. He said, well, we don't have to guess what God has done because I don't know about you. Can I can admit something to you now that I'm there is a clock here, so um, I can look over here. Is that? sometimes my problem is that uh, the older I get, I'm starting to forget things. I hate to admit that. One, I I hate to admit I'm getting older. The second is that, that, you know, I'll go in a room and go, why did I come into this room, right? (laughs) I knew what I was here for, and then all of a sudden I lost it. And and if God only spoke to us, is it quite possible, even for us who haven't reached that ancient age that I have, okay, is that, is that, I'm, I'm glad God has written it down, right? I, I don't have to guess what God's marching order for me because he's made it plain. You know, many times I want to take that option uh, of silence when God wants me to speak. I, I, I want to take that option is, is I want to give people a piece of my mind that I probably ought to keep to myself. Anybody been there? You go, you know, I probably shouldn't have said that. I probably shouldn't have done that. And, and so Moses is saying, look at I, I'm looking at my own life. I've already made a few mistakes here. I, you know, I took somebody's life I probably shouldn't have taken. I, 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 I've, I've, had, I've, had a, I've had a run from Egypt and the Pharaoh. And God, you've picked the wrong person. You, ought, you should have waited for somebody else to come along. And, and what happens in chapter 4 is God empowers Moses to do what he's called him to do. And let me just say this to all of us as we think about I, you ever get you ever get involved or get in the, I can't I can't I, I can't do this I, I can't, I can't, I can't and I can't and you know what God says to us? you can, you can't, you can not by your own strength but by the power of the living one who's in you if you have Christ living within you and, and so we see that dramatically played out in Moses' life then in chapter, chapter five we think, okay. God has shown up. He's revealed himself to, to Moses. And now we're going to be set free. You know what happens? The immediate thing that happens is that what they were going through, which we could all call suffering, that suffering increases. And, and, and sometimes that just strikes us. and said, so, God, I, I prayed and it looked like you were starting to move. And, and some, I, I anticipate some good things to happen. Instead of things getting better, they got what? Worse. You know, does anybody want to put a million dollars on who's going to win the election? I don't. I mean, both sides now saying that it's, it's going to be a split thing here. And can I, can I submit to you that, that God's people, in the midst of doing our part, being involved in the political process, voting responsibly, whatever, is that, that, that we, don't have, we don't have to be filled with fear whoever gets an office. Now, we might not like who gets an office, depending upon your perspective, but is Jesus still going to be on the throne? Is Jesus still going to empower God's people? Yes. And so they got that lesson. God's on the scene. He sent his, his, his man, Moses, and things got worse. Their, their, their punishment, their suffering got worse. Chapter six, then God comes and says, Okay, I'm going to make you a promise. I am going to set you free. And, and we know in the, in the period of time, and basically from chapter. Uh, three on. We had 350 years, 430 years approximately. uh, To me, how you want to add those up uh, in the first two chapters. And then in chapter three on to where we're going to get here is is a period of, first of all, two months as the plagues go on, depending upon the people who count the, the period of time. And then 10 months as God delivers the Ten Commandments. So we're going through a short period of time. And if you want to divide Exodus in half, you basically have half the book about God's redemptive plan and then the last half is God's instruction. Okay, here's what I've done for you. Here's how good I've been to you. Here's how I deliver you. Now, now I want you to live out in light of what I've done for you. In reality, that's, that, that ought to be the, the, the driving force for all of us. If God hasn't shown up in your life, then why would you, why would you live? Why would you live for him? But if he has shown up, uh, you don't forget what he's done. Remember, 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 and then dig in deep and, and then live out what he's told you. And so he says, I'm going to make this promise. And, and then God delivers them. And there's, we, we won't reach, preach all 10 plagues. But what happens? God delivers plagues of blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, and darkness. What, in, in chapters 8, 9, and 10. What's interesting about this to me is that when it first starts... Uh, the, the first two, um, the first two plagues, God's people experienced it as well. Uh, the, the Nile was turned to blood. All sources of, of water was turned to blood. And that happened not only in Egypt's Pharaoh's palace, it happened in their land as well. And, and, and when, the, when, the, when the frogs showed up, uh, that, they, they experienced the, the suffering of that and the stench of that even when, when they were delivered. And even when the gnats, and the gnats, uh, uh, anybody been fighting mosquitoes at their place? I mean, I, man, I hate mosquitoes, right? You know, they live their mark, you know. And, and, and they experience it too and say, well, God, if we're on your side, couldn't you, couldn't you just kept that from happening to us? And for the first three plagues, he doesn't. And then finally he says, okay, I, I'm going to make a distinction between my people and God's people. And the rest of the plagues, God delivers them from. And it only happens to the people who say no to God. And so there are many lessons there. There, there comes a time where we recognize that we live in a world uh, where it, it both... The, the sun beats down and the rain falls on both the righteous and the unrighteous. And, and we live in a broken world. So don't be surprised by the common suffering that everyone has. And that was true even as we see the example of God's way out in Exodus. And in chapter, chapter 11, God, God makes a warning. And, and really, when you think about people who, who give a deaf ear to God, as we think about that, it, it, it's, it's not that God's not speaking. It's that people are not, what? What? they're not listening. They're they're not listening to what he said. And so, so God in his great mercy, he was merciful to Pharaoh all the time. I mean, he could have wiped him out in the very beginning. And and really, all these were warning signals. Not only to Pharaoh, and he wasn't going to listen, but the rest of the people in Egypt. And some did listen, some did not. And and so, finally, he said, look at uh, this final plague is, your firstborn is going to die. And then he tells his people, and and anybody who was listening in with the, his people, if, if you put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, my blood sacrifice pictured in what sacrifice is going to come in Jesus will save you from the penalty of sin, which is death. So in chapter 11, he gives a, a warning. In the chapter 12, the plague happens. And, and when you think about judgment, and, and I know there, there are some... You know preacher types you know, like me and they're saying, well, when is the judgment of God going to come upon the United States for all that we've done? And we're, I'm not talking about on the two sides of the political parties here, but all the things that happen within the lives of people. When is God's judgment? I mean, we, we call ourselves a, a Christian nation and I, I'm not sure that that phrase is a great description of what our nation is. Uh, but, but God has blessed America and we often say God bless America but there comes a time where we're, when, when is the judgment of God's hand going to come upon us? And the reality is that we don't know. But there is a judgment that is coming. We just don't know when. But every one of us need to be prepared for the judgment that's going to be accountable to every person on this planet. And so there came a time he gave the warning and then the plague came. And the firstborn perished in every Egyptian home that did not apply the blood to their doorposts. And then chapter 13... God said, look, it. just like pastors, you get older, you start, you start to lose your memory. You start, you, start, you, start, you start to forget about, you know, why did I come into this room? Or uh, I have even done this. i have calling people on the phone. You ever done this? You call, this is really embarrassing. When you, when you dial somebody and you're, you're about ready to talk to them, and you go, who in the world did I dial? You know, I've had that happen. I, I try to fake it for a while that it doesn't, doesn't work. And who am I talking to? Well, you called me. Well, I know, but I... I forgot who I called, okay? And, and so he tells his people, you're, you're gonna forget about what's important. You don't have to remember that part, what I just said there. But anyway, so is, is that, he says, I, I, I don't want you to remember this, this miracle I did in your presence. You know, Passover. And I remember growing up at church and I heard about Passover and I thought, what is Passover all about? It's when God passed over their sin. He said, don't, I don't want you to forget this. You need to remember it. Remember, remember. And so he goes in great length in chapter twelve to to, to develop a, a way so that they would not forget. And then in chapter fourteen, a familiar story God parts the Red Sea. And, and the reality there is we need to realize is that, that God had delivered them uh, from Egypt, from Pharaoh. Uh, and and they're feeling pretty good until Pharaoh showed up again. And, and we need to recognize in life as well that you know just because God has shown up and promises to to never leave us or forsake us doesn't mean that there aren't going to be challenges around us. And and the whole story of the people in Egypt is is they recognize God's way out. They needed to learn to trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Not knowing what his timing is going to be. Not knowing how much suffering they're still going to experience in the future. And, And so God in a dramatic way showed up again and he parted the Red Sea and delivered them. And then chapter 15, uh, because of God's great miracle, they were filled with praise. And, th- and there's a song. And I, I, you know, I thought about singing that song to you that's, reco- that's written out in Exodus 15. And I said, I'd spare you. It's, the verses are there, but I don't know what the tune is. But you know, as, as they're filled with praise, you know what happens? Uh, it, what happens is life. Have you discovered that? Life happens. And all of a sudden, they're looking around and, and they're out in the desert. And if you're out in the desert, and we've experienced kind of a heat wave recently. W- 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 when it gets hot length of time, and if you're doing any kind of activity, pretty soon you get what? This is not a trick question. If you're hot and you're doing activity, you get what? You get what? Thirsty, right? And all of a sudden they're saying, where's the water? And they're thinking, God part of the Red Sea. Well, couldn't you, you know, couldn't you somehow, uh, what is it when you make seawater um, drinkable? What do you call that? Salization. Okay, well, you yeah. get? Whatever it is. Okay, they're doing that. They're doing that in Israel right now. They're trying to take some of the, 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 the seawater there and, and make it where it's drinkable. Couldn't could, could you, could you, could you, can't you provide for us? And, and, and God showed up and, and sent them to an oasis where they got water. Chapter 16. You know, if you got something to drink pretty soon, you want to know, do I have anything to eat? So God gives them bread. Chapter 17. Um, what we have here is that, that uh, they had water at the oasis, but now they left the oasis. Well, God, now what are you going to do? And, and it wasn't that they were patient with God. They wanted it now. And so they had learned not really to get on God, so they got on his, his, uh, his leader, Moses. And, and so God provides again, and God springs water. And then we find out later on that God protects them from an enemy uh, that's coming up, and then they win the battle. Chapter 18. Uh, this is an amazing experience, and it really relates to what we do at, God, at, at, at uh at Grace Hills Church is, it, Moses has a conversation. Because uh, uh, silence is not an option for God's people. So, sometimes it is in the political arena, and, and we need when to hold back, and when to speak into the, the, the troubles of the day. But, but we all ought to be eager to speak about Jesus. And we, we don't have to, to go to seminary or Bible school. We simply have to know, well, what has Jesus done for me, and how can I share that with somebody else? What has Jesus done, and how can I say, look, at Jesus is my hope? And so his father-in-law comes, comes in. His father-in-law comes in, and, and it's a longer conversation, and we, we, we looked at that in detail when we were in Acts chapter 18. But what I'm really convinced is that Moses talks to Jethro and tells him about his, about his God. And Moses turns to the living God. and one who, who believed in another God now turned to the God who would provide the way out. And, and really, the, the simple message of, about Jesus is it, found in the experience that, that Jesus had in John chapter 3 where he talked to another person, Nicodemus, and just simply told him, you, you must be born again. And so we need to have people in our world, our oikos, family and friends that we talk to. Chapter 19, uh, God manifests himself. And we've been sharing about that. As he brought the Ten Commandments, he, he, he brought it in a techno way. I mean, there was thunder and there was lightning. And he, he brought the fear of God in the people as he was about to give them instruction. Chapter 20, God voices the Ten Commandments. Now he wrote it down. He spoke about it. God, chapter 21, and we've looked at this in the last couple of weeks, God lays down just laws on slavery and life in the womb. We're living in a broken world and God speaks directly. In a world that's broken, we're not going to, we're not going to solve all the social ills, but in the midst of it, God's people need to be just. Chapter 22, God speaks about restitution. Chapter 23, God defines righteousness and justice for all. And so in Exodus chapter 23, I want to read a couple passages. And then we're going to look at Exodus chapter 24. So what does God do when he shows up? He does all kinds of things. He sees our pain. He protects his people. He provides, them in super, uh, provides for them in a supernatural way. He, he deals with their most basic needs, but he drives them what's most important, and that's to put their trust in him. God calls his people uh, to, to listen, to, to live out his plan. He gets very specific. And so as we think about God showing up, he not only reveals himself, but he reveals his plan. And, and so as we think about what does God do, he does, he does everything we could imagine and more. Uh, but he does do some things that just confuse us as well. And we're not under the law of the Old Testament, but uh, I'll, I'll not share everything I was going to share. But look at Acts chapter 23, verse 19. He says, you, you shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. So whatever we do for God, we ought to give our first. But then he goes on this. He says something strange. You are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. Now, has anybody broke that in commandment recently? Does anybody even have a goat? All right. So you think, well, why is this in the Bible? Why would we should read that? Well, I want to recognize that there's always a reason, but that we don't always know the reason. Most of the times when I read that, I go, what in the world are you talking about? And there's actually a debate of what it actually means here. But really what he was calling out his people is God's way out. He wants people to recognize that they have, a, they have a way in. And the way in is to be a distinct people. That our lives ought to be different than other people. That, that, that we ought to not only love our neighbors, ourselves, We ought to love our what? Enemies. And if somehow you, you can't love a Democrat or love a Republican, then something's going wrong here. Now, you don't always have to agree with everything they say, but we are called to love them. If you can't, on your end, carry on a conversation in a way that's meaningful, then then you need to look at your own heart. Can we agree on that? God has called his people to be distinct. Then here is exactly what it was here. There's a couple options here as far as what does that mean? You are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. Say, I don't want you to be like the people that you're going to be landing in, in the promised land. They do all kinds of things. And the Canaanite people, some, one view of this is that the Canaanite people in, in worshiping their God would, would take a, the, the offspring of a goat and, and put it in the mother's milk and, and roast it and then offer it to their God. And he said, that's just barbaric. You don't need to be doing that at all. Now, one of the reasons he had to say that is because they discovered in, in the promised land that, that there are different ways to prepare food, and, and sometimes if you prepare a food a certain way, it tastes better. anybody anybody want to agree with that? Man, I, 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 my, my boy, I, this is one of the shocking things in my life. My boys now are all into cooking. You know, they're all into, you know, I mean, they'll they'll roast their meat for eight hours and all that kind of stuff. And I just I love the the fruit of what they do, but I don't have the patience to do that kind of stuff. Well, what was happening here is that if you if you boil the goat in 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 milk, mother's milk, it just tasted better then you think, well, if it tastes better, why can't I eat it that way? Because I, I want you to be far away from that which speaks of another God that people are worshiping in that way. I don't want, I don't want you to be different. And the other part of that is saying, look, at it, I also don't want you, another view of this is, is why did he give that commandment? He gave that commandment. and said, look, at it, I don't want you to mix the images of, 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 of life and death. Hey, hey, hey not only a goat, but in other lives, uh, human lives, is that it's the milk of the mother that allows that young, young one to be sustained in life. It, it, it's desperate. They desperately need the milk of the mother. And, and for you to take the life base uh, and mix it with death, that's not what I'm about. Uh, I've come to set you free. So as you think about the commandments, and we're, this is the last week on looking at individual commandments, that God gave commandments for a purpose. So that when he showed up, they said, I want you to live in a distinct way that show that I have a plan. But what I want to talk about today, and, and there went my notes, is, uh, is you know, what do we need when God shows up? And I think I got it in my head. <laughs> but when God shows up, what, what do we need? And this is what we're going to share in the last few minutes. Exodus chapter 24. In Exodus chapter 24, God shows up in so many demonstrative ways in Exodus. But when, what do we need when God shows up? Number one, we're going to need that we need a mediator. And you're going to see this in the first couple of verses. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. When he, God, said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Anon, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. And you're wondering who is Nadab and Abihu? That's the sons of Aaron. So he said, "Look, I'm calling a few people to come up, but we're not going to speak about that. What we're going to speak about is, is verse two. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall his people come up with him. And, and, and really, that, that's a picture. As you look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a picture what what God was going to completely do when Jesus came. And when Jesus came, the message is really plain. And the plain is that if God were to show up in a demonstrative way right here, we wouldn't run to him. We would probably all run, what? Away from him. Because we would recognize that he is holy, he is righteous, and we're not. That we need someone to be between us and him or we'll perish. And the Old Testament said, you're not going to see God fully and live because of his holiness. And so we have here is Moses, and he's portrayed this in the book of Hebrews, is that that he was a picture of Christ. And really, as we think about what do we need when when God shows up, we need to have someone stand between us and him. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says this: there's one mediator, and that mediator simply is a person who stands before you and somebody else. There's one mediator between God and, and us, and that's the man Jesus. If Jesus didn't show up, we would have no capacity to be in the presence of God. And just like they recognized that in the Old Testament, they didn't Moses. They didn't want to speak to God because of his power, his righteousness, his holiness. That's true for us today. You know, I share with you, when we we get to heaven, and hopefully you're going there, there's one thing that's going to be true about everybody who's in heaven. There's going to be no proud people in heaven. Because none of us deserve to be there. And apart from Jesus coming, none of us would be there. Secondly, what we have here very plainly is that as we think about God showing up, is that look at verses 3 and 7. Then Moses came and recounted to the people of all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Verse 7. Then he took the, the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. W- what do we need? Number, number one, we need a mediator. Number two, we need to be obedient. Or to put it on, we need to, be, to make a commitment. There is no, there is no shallow faith that will get you into a relationship with the living God. And shallow, I don't mean that, that somehow that you are more energized than somebody else, but I mean a, a faith that is a true faith is one saying, Lord, you're Lord, I'm not. You're gonna be in charge, I'm not gonna be in charge. You have a plan, I'm gonna follow that plan. You, you've called me to obey and I'm gonna obey. And, and, and we never do that perfectly, but that's the direction of our life. If we're a follower of the living God, uh, we are called to be obedient. And, and we're obedient when we make that commitment. And that commitment is a commitment where I surrender. So when they're in the presence of God and they recognize that Moses had to speak for them, they needed a mediator. And, and then as he came down and gave the commandments and had them even written in a book, he said, look, at, well, we know, and some of it was only a verbal response, but some of it was a response to the heart. But those who made a commitment, a true commitment, they recognize that's what they needed to do. That makes sense? You know some put it this way. Some people have what you call a demon faith. in the book of james the james the James says, "Well, you know the demons believe there's only one God, but they they know this book probably pretty well. They, they could say all kinds of true things about Jesus, but they have no intention to following him and be obedient to him. And so what do we need? we need we need to number one, we need to no, we have, I need a mediator. Number two, we, we need to make a commitment. Romans 10, 9 says, If, 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 you, if you confess your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. And in the last section, just reading verses 4 and on, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, and then he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the, at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as a peace offering. And I'll talk about this just really briefly in a moment. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord Jesus, I'm adding that, which the Lord has made you with in accordance with these words. We need a mediator. We need to make a commitment. But what we need to realize is that we need someone to pay the price. Jesus came to pay the price. First John 1-2 speaks about he's the, he's the propitiation for our sins, which is a fancy word to simply say. He is the payment for God's wrath. God hates sin. He hates wickedness. He hates evil. He hates the sin in our heart. And unless Jesus paid the price, we would all be lost. There's going to be no proud people in heaven. God shows up. And when God shows up, he does amazing things. He's done it in the past, does it in the present, will do it in the future. And when God shows up, there's, there's some things that we, we need for us to do. We need to recognize that we need a mediator, and that's Jesus. We need to make a commitment. It's a surrender commitment. We need to recognize that he paid the price. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the question for all of this is are we ready for God to show up? And are we ready to help other people to be ready for God to show up? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just really ask in the midst of being a people that have heard about God's rescue plan, God's way out, might we recognize that there's a way out because you've shown up. You, sh- you showed up in the Old Testament. You've shown up in the New Testament. You've shown up in real history. You can record the time in which the exodus happened. And Father, we can record the time. In fact, all of history is defined in the time when Jesus came. And Father, might we be a people that, that see silence is not an option. We want to speak about what we believe. We want to live it out. And Father, is anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might they they surrender their life to Jesus now, putting their faith and trust in him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.